This is the Agnet Weekly Podcast. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Today we are talking about trade. On the phone is my guest Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. Brian, thank you for taking some time to be on the show and talk with me. Of course. Great to talk with you. To start out, tell us a little bit about the organization Farmers for Free Trade. So Farmers for Free Trade is an umbrella organization representing U.S. agriculture. So everyone from the Almond Alliance of California to the National Association of Wheat Growers uh, and everything in between. We've got corn, dairy, pork, uh, distilled spirits, National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, sort of everyone working together on issues that matter for U.S. food and agriculture related to exports. So you are definitely the right person to talk to about exports and trade. Absolutely. At least I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get through it together. So for more than 10 years, and I went back and did some research on this, and it's been more than 10 years since the U.S. entered a free trade agreement, not including, of course, the USMCA, um, which which replaced NAFTA in 2020. Uh, Also, we're no longer a part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, Of course, President Trump pulled us out of that, and President Biden has not re-entered. And then last year in the spring, uh, I believe it was in May, President Biden started talking about the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, which is technically not a trade agreement, but an economic agreement, basically a trade agreement. What does this all mean for agriculture is my starting question for you. What does this all mean with where we're currently at? I like to say if you're standing still, you're falling behind. Um, and, and that's what the United States has been doing for, for over a decade. Um, you're right. We, we renegotiated and improved NAFTA, made it the USMCA. Uh, President Trump and Congress should be commended for getting that done. Farmers for Free Trade uh, loudly supported that bill. Uh, because our two largest trading partners until recently, our two largest trading partners have been Canada and Mexico. So having having a trade block that is all of North America really counts, and, and it, it's part of what makes us an economic powerhouse globally. Um, but you're right. For the past 10 years, we haven't been negotiating new trade agreements uh, to open new markets. Uh, the U.S. did lead and negotiate the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was an agreement with 11 other countries uh, bordering the Pacific. So it included Canada and Mexico, but it also included Australia. It included Vietnam, Japan. And then at the last moment after negotiating this deal, we pulled out of it. And so the other 11 countries went forward with the deal we negotiated, and we stood on the sidelines. And and that was a terrible loss, I think just a a big, big error. Uh, The American Farm Bureau had had estimated that if we entered the Trans-Pacific Partnership, it would have generated another $4 billion a year for U.S. food and agriculture. So that's dollars in people's pockets. That's dollars on Main Street. That's uh, support for schools in rural communities. So just a, a colossal error to pull us out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And we're disappointed that President Trump pulled us out. We're disappointed that President Biden isn't pursuing it. Uh, we think that we should be in TPP or get back into that that trade framework. Um, but beyond that, you know, what we see is our competitors, they're not standing still. And uh, whether that's, you know, potential adversaries like China, uh, China's negotiated RCEP, which is a regional trade block, kind of like TPP. They've entered into trade agreements in Africa. They've entered into trade agreements with Ecuador. I mean, they're out, they're out cutting deals around the world while we stand on the sidelines. And 
you know, we can coast for a while. We're America. We've got great ag. We've got great transportation. We've got rule of law. We've got hard workers. We've got technology. We've got all these advantages. So we can rest for a little while, but eventually that's going to catch up to us. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to, we're facing the prospect of a trade deficit uh, this year where we will import more food and agriculture than we will export. And part of that's because we're not opening up these markets. We're starting to lose market share overseas. Mm-hmm. Let's focus in on the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. Can you explain how that is? Uh, it's not a trade agreement. Uh, it does include a trade agreement, but can you explain the economic framework? Sure. So, so the Biden administration has launched what they call the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, or IPEF for short, and they should be commended for doing it. It's, it's an important thing that they're working on. Uh, it includes a number of different pillars, one of which relates to trade, but the others relate to, you know, corruption, currency manipulation, uh, digital economy. There's sort of all sorts of different different pieces of, of this economic integration. And I think on its face, IPEF is an effort by the U.S. to engage with countries in the Indo-Pacific area as sort of a counterweight to China. We want to work more closely with India. We want to work more closely with uh, Indonesia and Vietnam. And so these kind of efforts are important. Um, where it falls short, we believe, is is that it is not a trade agreement. And so what does that mean? Well, it means, number one, there's no emphasis on market access. So a big part of what American food and ag exports face are tariffs. And tariffs are basically just taxes. They're taxes that a country puts on a product when it's coming into that country. So if Vietnam taxes are, let's just take an example, let's say Vietnam taxes pork coming from the U.S., but they don't tax pork coming from another country, well, that other country is going to be able to undersell the U.S. They'll be able to sell their pork cheaper because it doesn't have the tax in place. So negotiating tariff reductions is part of what gives us market access to other countries. And if we don't negotiate tariff reductions, we're always selling at a higher price than our competitors. And so we're going to lose market share. IPEF does not include tariff reductions. So as good as it is, and it does work on things like sanophytatory uh, Sano standards, uh, SPS issues, um, you know, health issues, those are all important and they can help with exports. But if it doesn't address tariffs, we're always going to be at competitive advantage versus our, our, uh, our competitors. So would you like to then see that be reworked? And have you been able to um, advise at all and encourage that this be reworked? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we think there are three things the Biden administration should be doing. Um, number one, we think IPEF should be restructured so that it does explicitly address market access. It should be trying to lower tariffs. It should be trying to open markets for U.S. food and ag exports. So that's number one. Number two, beyond IPEF, we believe the U.S. should be negotiating free trade agreements one-on-one with other countries, or maybe sometimes you know two-on-one that you can kind of put them together in a number of different ways, but we should be looking for places where we can enter into standalone free trade agreements. The UK would be a good example. You know, here, the United Kingdom has just 
broken off from the EU. They're no longer part of the EU trade bloc or not in the same way that they were. They want to enter into a free trade agreement with the U.S. We should do that. We should enter into a free trade agreement with U.K. and, and start to open the U.K. market to more of our food and ag products as well as other products. So number one, expand IPEP to include markets. Number two, enter into new free trade agreements. And then number three, there's the option to do you know what people call mini deals. Uh, so one-off deals where we go to a country like, well, and the Biden administration has done some of this already. So we went to India and we said, we would like to import pork to India. Now, India is not a big pork consumer, but their hotels and other things use pork. And India said, okay, we'll lower tariffs on pork if you'll lower tariffs, I think they did on mango exports from India. And we said, that's great. The U.S. doesn't grow mangoes. We're happy to lower tariff in, uh tariffs on mangoes imported from India. So both sides were able to lower tariffs a little bit. It wasn't a full-blown trade agreement. It was a kind of one-off mini deal. We should be doing more of those. So we'd like to see an all-of-the-above trade strategy. Let's let's really push on IPEF. Let's enter into new free trade agreements, and, and let's pursue these kind of mini deals everywhere we can. Let's talk about the UK, uh, because that's something that we've been talking about for many months or a few years now. Um, but with the UK, what kind of opportunities do you see there for agriculture? Well, the UK probably will not be a huge ag export market for the US, um, but, uh, but there is a significant opportunity there. Uh, the European Union has, gener- has created what they call their farm-to-fork policy or their Green New Deal. And farm-to-fork, we think, is is somewhat misguided. Uh, it it has laudable goals. You know, it wants to it wants to improve public health. It wants to protect the environment, uh, worker safety. These are all things that we support and and think all countries should work on. But farm-to-fork goes about it the wrong way. Farm-to-fork sets these prescriptive guidelines. So they'll say we want to reduce fertilizer usage by X. We want to increase the number of organic farms by why. We want to uh, ban GMOs. They have sort of this punch list of things they want to do that are very prescriptive. They're not outcome-driven. They're not saying we want to um, reduce fertilizer runoff. That's something everyone could get behind. And we think with the U.S., with our technology and our efficiency, we can actually outcompete if you're looking at, at the, the impact and trying to solve for the impact. We do that better than anyone else. Um, so the EU has had this kind of misguided environmental policy, which is starting to bang into trade because um, they're starting to put restrictions on imports that don't uh, that don't live up to their farm to fork standards. The UK has just broken off from the EU, so the UK is no longer subject to those farm to fork standards. We think we need to work with the UK and create a little bit of a counterweight to the EU on those types of issues. So engagement engagement's important both in terms of direct sales. It's also important in terms of export of ideology and how you work together and how you view the world. And uh, you know, if the UK and we are aligned on those issues, it, it gives us more leverage against the EU. And I, I think that's one of the reasons we should try to have a free trade agreement with the UK. And that farm-to-fork program has been a problem for many farmers in the UK as well, or excuse me, in the EU as well, because of their strict standards that they're trying to enact. And it's a little bit along those lines, too. I want to switch over to the USMCA with Mexico and the ban of some GMO corn and Canada's dairy tariff rate quotas. 
some people are calling for a reworking of the USMCA. Do you think it needs to be revisited? No, not at not at this time. And and here's here's what's important to understand. If we didn't have the USMCA, we wouldn't have a dispute resolution me- uh, mechanism. So if if the EU says we're going to ban GMOs and we don't have a free trade agreement with the EU, we're pretty constrained in what we can do. We can complain about it. Maybe there's a WTO case, but it's it's hard to really push the issue. With Mexico and Canada, we have entered into a free trade agreement, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. And one of the things that makes FTAs or free trade agreements work is that they have dispute resolution mechanisms. So when Mexico says we're going to ban GMOs, we can take them to court. And when Canada says we're going to, we're going to uh, mess with your dairy exports, we can take them to court. And, and so that's what the Biden administration's in the process of doing. They've, they've done dispute resolution with Canada dairy. Um, and I think we'll move forward with dispute resolution with Mexico GMOs. And that's where we need to start. You know, if that doesn't ultimately work, you can always look at renegotiating a trade agreement if it turns out it wasn't well negotiated in the first place. But right now, USMCA, I think, is working really well, and we should give it a chance to work. Especially with it being a relatively new, or not even relatively new, a newer trade agreement. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, just just uh, just a few years ago. So what about, let's talk a little bit more about standalone trade agreements, or like you said, one-on-one trade agreements. Are there any countries you can think of specifically, and you did mention a, a few, but let's go into more more into depth a bit. Are there any countries you can think of specifically that would be of a big benefit, especially for our agricultural producers and commodities? Sure. So, so I, I think it's pretty easy to look at. You know, you want to look at the countries that are have a large population. Obviously, more mouths equals more demand for food and ag products. You want to look at a country at countries with growing middle class, uh, because a growing middle class has a bigger demand both for high quality foods like the U.S. produces, and for protein, which the U.S. produces, uh, or also, uh, you know, feed. We can export feed for th- those countries to produce their own protein. So, you know, if you think about it that way, you look at where do you have a growing population, where do you have a growing middle class, you can then pretty quickly say, well, some of the countries that we should look at would be, you know, India, 1.3 billion people. India is a difficult country to crack. It's, it's got a really uh, regulated economy. But we, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And, you know, maybe there are many deals. Maybe it's a free trade agreement. But India clearly should be a high priority for our country. It's also an important counterweight to China. Uh, you know, if India and U.S. are aligned, that really helps box China into, uh, into a corner. Um, beyond India, uh, Indonesia would be important. Vietnam is important. Japan is important. Those are all three countries in the Indo-Pacific region we should really be looking at. Africa across the board, uh, you know, I mean, Africa, Africa will grow and Africa will develop. Um, and China is certainly in Africa trying to build infrastructure and cut free trade agreements. Russia's in Africa. The U.S. is doing relatively little in Africa. So looking at a country like Kenya or Rwanda and looking for places where we can work together, um, and some of that may be in the context of a free trade agreement, some of it may be in other, other mechanisms. But we should definitely be paying attention to India or to Africa. And then, you know, South and Central America, we have trade agreements with a number of countries, Colombia as an example, but there's a lot we could do still with, with our own hemisphere. You know, 
I think I would almost be remiss if I didn't ask about Russia and Ukraine and if uh, Russia's war on Ukraine was still having an effect on trade and our trade agreements and if you expect that to continue into the year. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and disruption both of Ukrainian agriculture and global supply chains, I think, really has had a ripple effect throughout throughout the world and, and with, you know, potentially dire consequences in terms of global starvation and hunger and malnourishment. Uh, I mean, I, I think we are on the verge of a pretty significant global crisis because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, so what does that mean for trade? Well, I think, number one, it means we should double down on trade. It's all the more important that the U.S. view itself rightly as the stable, dependable breadbasket of the world. I mean, we have tremendously productive farmland. We have technology. We have transportation, inland waterways, rail, highways, ports. We have farmers uh, with know-how going back generations. Um, we have rule of law, which should never be discounted. I mean, you, you can you can enter into a contract in the U.S. and know it will be enforced. There's not bribery. There's not uh, shenanigans that are played on the back end. All of those things give us a tremendous advantage, and we really need to view ourselves as the country most able to feed the world, and we need to step up to that responsibility. And part of that's growing food and helping our farmers to grow food, and part of it is uh, focusing on exports and making sure that we're growing enough not just to feed ourselves but to help the rest of the world. That's important for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the right thing to do. We don't want to see global starvation. We want to make sure everybody's fed and well-nourished. Uh, number two, it's good economically for us. If we're selling products overseas, that helps boost our, our economy. And number three, it's, it's sort of soft power, that it's a stabilizing influence. If the U.S. is providing food and helping make sure people are fed, you're not going to have the same refugee crises. You're not going to have mass starvation and destabilization. You're not going to have the chaos in the world. Um, and, and frankly, you're going to have countries that want to work with us because we're providing them food and, and helping them. So on multiple levels, it's important that the U.S. continue to see itself as, as the breadbasket of the world and, and not walk away from that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And as we continue moving into 2023, uh, and you told us a few moments ago about your priorities for the year, but what would be the priorities for Farmers for Free Trade for 2023? Well, number one, we'd like to see Congress step up to the plate. Uh, remember that the Constitution vests uh, tariff authority with the Congress. Um, so, you know, it's in recent years been kind of stood on its head. Congress is delegated to the, the executive branch to go out and make deals. But really, it's Congress that sets tariffs. And we think Congress should step up and say it's not okay for us to stand on the sidelines. We need to be in in the in the stream of commerce. We need to be entering into deals with other countries, and Congress should push this administration to do that, and it should push whoever the next administration is, whether that's in 2024 or 2028. Part of Congress's job should be giving marching orders to the executive branch and saying we want trade, we want food and ag exports, we want you to help our farmers. Um, so that's step number one. Congress should step up and be more assertive. Step number two, we think the Biden administration should should try to modify IPATH to place an emphasis on market access. Uh, we think they should enter into free trade agreements. I mean, again, you think about our diplomatic heft as a country. Why don't we have five or ten free trade agreements being negotiated at any one time all the time? I mean, some of them won't go anywhere. Some of them Congress won't like. 
but we should be trying. We should be teeing up agreements everywhere we can, and and the ones that make sense to us and are in our best interest, we should we should enter and we should pass through Congress. So we'd like to see a more robust free trade agreement pipeline going on. And then again, everywhere else, these mini deals, you know, where we can improve trade around the edges, we should never stop doing that. Um, I would like to give a shout out to uh, two recent confirmations, two staff appointments that, that the Biden administration put forward and that Congress confirmed. Uh, Alexis Taylor, who is the, uh, had been Secretary of Agriculture for the state of Oregon, uh, has been confirmed and sworn in as the USDA Undersecretary for International. So she's on point at USDA as of a couple months ago, focusing on exports and international trade. And then Doug McCallop has recently been sworn in as U.S. Uh, Ag Negotiator at U.S. Trade Representative. So these two people really are pros. They've got a career dedicated to helping agriculture. And we really are optimistic that they're going to put their back into the wheel and, and help move some of these agendas forward. And before we finish up, let's talk a little bit about the Farm Bill. What do you see for the Farm Bill? The Farm Bill, which is up in 2023, uh, includes some export incentives, uh, MAP and FMD. Uh, those are market promotion programs. Um, MAP, uh, the Market Access Program, it's it's been funded at $200 million a year under uh, the, the 2018 Farm Bill. And that's a really important program. It, uh, it train, trains U.S. food and agriculture on how to export. It can be used to try to open new markets, to go overseas and promote products. Um, so it's an important part of our of our export strategy. We would like to see that funding doubled, and there is legislation that's been introduced in the Congress to double MAP and FMD funding, and we would encourage Congress to move forward with that uh, because those, those funds really help us flex our muscle overseas and help us develop new markets for U.S. food and ag products. Do you expect to be testifying at any of the upcoming Farm Bill hearings? We, yeah, we would certainly be willing to do that, and uh, and our, you know if if we get an invite, we certainly would show up. Uh, we've had members certainly testify at hearings, and again, Farmers for Free Trade is an umbrella organization representing a lot of different food and ag uh, associations and companies. So I would expect at a minimum a lot of our members will be testifying. But if there's a need for Farmers for Free Trade to testify, we'd certainly do that as well. I will keep an eye out for you then. Awesome. Those were all the questions I had for you, but I really appreciate your time. Thanks for giving me a call and talking with me about trade. Of course. Of course. And thank you once again to Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. This is the Agnet Weekly. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thanks for tuning in.